Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice for Thursday, September the 28th, 2017. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of a company called Score Publishing based in Nashville, Tennessee. Our sponsor for This Week in Voice is Voice XP, blazing the trail in voice technology. Voice XP is taking the lead in developing Alexa skills for some of the best brands in the world. With Voice XP, all you have to do is say it to revolutionize your marketing strategy. And I say it again and again, if you don't know these folks, if you have no idea what they do or don't know about them, stop the podcast for a minute, go to the browser, www.voicexp.com and check them out. You'll be glad that you did. Very, very pleased to be joined by a phenomenal panel of guests. Our first one is Carrie Claiborne. Carrie, say hello. Hello. Carrie, thank you for joining us. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. So I'm working in voice user interface design uh, for about 15 years on and off for a number of different companies. Right now I'm working with Interaction. And I primarily work on voice user interface devices that are used in the customer service channel with an emphasis on usability and user experience. Very cool. And you're based in Charleston? Uh, I'm actually in Columbia, South Carolina, about 90 miles away. Okay, cool. Yeah, South Carolina is a great place. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Our next guest is Kathy Pearl. Kathy, say hello. Hello. Kathy, thank you for joining us. Uh, It was great to meet you face-to-face back in San Francisco a week or two ago. Share with us uh, about uh, what you do for Sensely and a little bit about your background. Sure. So I am the vice president of user experience at Sensely. We have a virtual nurse avatar we use to help people with chronic health conditions. And you can talk to the avatar and the avatar talks back. And recently I published the O'Reilly book, Designing Voice User Interfaces. Um, I'm really excited to see this resurgence in voice technology. It's a little bit different than the IVR world that I started in back in the late 90s. And uh, thank you so much for having me back on the show. Yes. Thank you for joining us once again. And we have Kathy's book, In the show notes, check that out. It's through O'Reilly.com. Our next guest is Tara Kelly. Tara, say hello. Hi there. Tara, thank you very much for joining us. And just a little bit of background. There was a big mix-up on my part and Voice First FM's part. You were supposed to have joined us weeks ago. Thank you very, very much for your graciousness with us and your patience with us. No problem at all. Life is busy. Share a little bit with us about Splice Software and what y'all do. So Splice Software is an 11-year-old company, and we focus on really bringing the art and science together um, with customer connections with, with a really a voice-first focus. We believe that, um, that every transaction in life happens based on a foundation of trust, and trust is both an emotional re- connection as well as a logical connection to, to transact. So when we build voice applications for retails, finance, insurance, um, we really focus on making sure that that voice connection is creating the emotional connection that you want so that you can do commerce. Um, And we have a ton of fun with it and working with companies about how much data is really ready. So it's pretty exciting times these days as we move from telephony into, you know, additional, you know, speaking devices all throughout the home. Um, I've been sort of champion, you know, this is the year of voice, I think for like nine years, and I think it's finally starting to happen. So um, we're excited to see this space just really exploding right now. Thank all three of you for joining us uh, and giving some of your time and sharing your insight and expertise expertise with not just me, but the audience today. We are greatly, greatly appreciative. So with that, we will get to the news. And what a week. In fact, what the last 24 hours, Amazon 
didn't really give us a lot of indication that they were going to uh, shower us with new hardware <laughs> and inundate the marketplace with new information and products. And this is where we're going to start this episode today. Amazon throws down the voice first gauntlet. In the special event that they hosted in Seattle on Wednesday, they announced a slew of new Alexa-enabled voice-first devices. And these devices, in order, were the second-generation Amazon Echo, the Echo Plus, the Echo Connect, the Echo Spot, Amazon Fire TV, and Echo Buttons, and a partridge in a pear tree. So, fascinating approach. I think there's some potential debate as to, you know, should they have focused on a couple of things, or should they have just spam the market with all these things. Tara, I'm going to start with you. Before we get into each product, which we'll do, I want to get your and the rest of the panel's just sort of general reaction to yesterday's uh, announcement and event, as well as if any one particular product caught your eye more than the others. Give us your uh, reaction. I love it. Um, I'm a, I'm a big believer in, you know, AB testing and this is A to G testing, right? So, um, I think you've got to get out there and see what the people want. And I think it was bold and I think it was a great move. I kind of fell in love with that little spot. So, I mean, we're, we're giving them out for Christmas for sure everywhere. Um, but I love the new spot. I think it sits beautifully on your nightstand. I think the design is great. And, um, I like that they made things pretty, uh, the first versions were, you know, they're just not aesthetically pleasing. So I was pretty excited to see the investment they made into realizing um, your home is is a sacred place and and what the feel of it is is, is really critical from a visual aesthetic perspective. So um, I was all thumbs up for for the slew of options that they put out to the market. I think the pro- the one that really jumped at me is the Echo Plus and integrating the smart home hub features. I have in my not too distant past what I call the lost weekend, which was involving trying to get different light bulbs and security systems, thermostats up, all talking to each other. And it was a tremendous amount of work that only could be made better when the housekeepers unplugged my router and I was starting from scratch again. The experience I had could have theoretically been a barrier for entry for many consumers. And this, I think, is a huge, huge uh, improvement over any virtual assistant platform to incorporate that integration. Certainly, it feels a bit overwhelming. Like I feel like you lose a bit of focus when you have so many things released at once but it, it makes me very excited to see what's coming because this is obviously demonstrating, once again, a huge commitment to, to voice interaction, voice first. Yeah, cool. for sure. And to, to Carrie's point, one of the things absolutely about the Echo Plus, this whole idea of making it easier to do integration with your home um, automation things, I mean, anytime you can replace a user manual with a conversation, I'm all for it. I thinking about when the um, Echo did a recent update, um, and when it did, when it finished the update, uh, a yellow ring lit up, a new ring color I hadn't seen before, and I just said, Alexa, what's up with the yellow ring? And it said, Oh, that's a new feature to get reminders. And how great is it that you can just ask your device for how to use the device? It's almost like having somebody from the Geek Squad come over to your house um, and help you set something up rather than have to go online and look through obscure user manuals. Um, but I think the one that stuck out to, mo- to me the most is like Tara's, the Echo Spot. Um, 
I'm somebody who I like to have my phone not be in my bedroom. Um, so I leave it downstairs when I go to bed. Recently, I was trying this meditation app, though, which meant I was bringing my phone into my bedroom. And I didn't like it because I started, you know, <laughs> scrolling through Twitter and doing all this stuff that I really didn't need to be doing. And the thing, it's the aesthetics. The Echo Spot can look just like a pretty alarm clock sitting on your nightstand or have a photo of a family member or something like that most of the time. So rather than the Echo Dot, which is kind of this like little thing sitting there, it's, it's it would actually enhance maybe a look in your room and not lead me into just mindlessly surfing the net, but just do a couple things that I would want to do in that space. So it sounds like the consensus is excitement, enthusiasm, positive reception for Amazon's event yesterday. And I think one of the outcomes of the blitzkrieg of product announcements is that if you are a casual observer in, you know, who, who's not following any of this, this isn't your profession, this isn't your sector, you don't, you know, maybe you have an echo or maybe you don't, but you don't follow this stuff. And you see that Amazon has a special event in which they announce like 80 new products, <laughs> all involving Alexa, you would probably conclude that this is a big deal. And you would probably conclude that voice technology is not some flash in the pan, ephemeral fad, but is instead a permanent shift in computing. So I think from that standpoint, it's really valuable. And, and I, to that extent, I agree with the panel uh, as well. Let's go through and let's just start with the second generation Amazon Echo, which Tara, I think you touched on. And just give your, your overall impression of the product. We're going to do this for each one. Impression and a letter grade based on relevance, functionality, and price, whatever you think matters the most. Kathy, I'll start with you for, uh, for this one. Yeah, the, the only thing I really thought about the, this new version of the regular Echo was the fact that they have these different uh, looks to it. So, and it it's a little, looks a little bit more almost like the Google Home. Um, I think it's a nice thing to have the different fabrics and things like that. Price is good. Um, I'm assuming the exact same performance I get from my current Echo. So I would say if I give my Echo an A, which I do, then I would give this the same grade, assuming it behaves the same. I'm going to give it a B. I find it frustrating that it can't play uh, at the volume levels I want. Um, it can get lost in large spaces. I was super excited about the felt option, the wood grain option. I think they're getting much more cool and hip, but if you're going to appeal to the creative, you better uh, do something about your speaker um, amplification, quality, sound. Um, so I'm going to give it a B, but I think they're moving in the right direction and I'm a big fan and I don't give A's very easily. It seems like this is a very consumer market oriented change. I I can see a lot of people being excited by a new look, a new feel. I think that improving the speakers are probably worthwhile, but I'll be very interested to get like a first-hand impression on how the microphone array is going to actually improve recognition, especially if it's a little bit noisier um, or distance involved. I think that might be the most compelling thing in terms of this actual functionality. I'm almost tempted to go down to the minus because it, from a voice user interface perspective, it doesn't really bring much to the table. But certainly from a marketing perspective, it's cool, it's new, it's shorter, it's got cool colors. Perhaps that gets more eyeballs on it just in time for Christmas. Next up is the Echo Plus. So the Echo Plus is the hub version of the Echo that's a little bit pricier, but a little bit more robust. So let's do the same thing, get impressions and letter grade. And Kathy, I'll start with you on this. What'd you think? So I think if you're into home automation or a nice 
nicer speaker. This is probably great for you. I'm not really into either of those things. So it's not something I'm going to run out and buy. But as we were saying earlier, the fact that if you do want to do any kind of home automation, that you can do it in a conversational way, I think is a, is a big win. So for people who are in that space, I think it's, it's good. And, and a letter grade? <laughs> grades are tough um I, for myself i'll give it a b because i'm not that interested in it but for somebody with home automation maybe an a yeah and you don't need to provide a caveat if you're not interested then give it yeah give it <laughs> give it whatever you're, you're good um, okay a b for me there you go tara your thoughts Okay, I'm going to give this one an A. Um, I have gone to the effort of setting up everything with Samsung Hub. Um, I love this space. I'm super excited that Philips is part of their partnership. I think they have some of the greatest um, deep investment in the home space, um, including a lot of their different bulbs for the you know funkier modern lights, for pot lights, etc. Um, going with the LEDs, so um, as well as security system integration. So I think that this is a risk, though. Um, I'm excited they're making the gamble. There is so many other uh, connected devices in your home that they're going to have to be able to talk to. And I think time will tell if they drop to a D minus um, because I think there's there's a ton to seamlessly integrate with and voice can only do so much. So you might be using your show before you know it. So I'm going to give them an A for now, but it's a, it's a tight rope they're walking. Love this. Um, I definitely give it an A. I think that it is going to be a significant improvement in initial installation. It's going to make life easier for those of us who are interested in trying to get smart home things. Any barrier for entry here, because this is a speech-enabled device, and we take our, our human language instinct so personally, even though subconsciously, we can't make mistakes here. Being able to take just another area that potentially be a road bump in, into getting adoption moving, I, I think is a fantastic change on it. And Personally, obviously, with my experience, trying to get different hubs working, different technologies working, it's exciting to see somebody major to whom I hope that the developers will align putting something on the market to make your integration more seamless. Next up is the Echo Connect, which, correct me if I'm wrong, is the version of the Echo that plugs into the phone line and allows you to take phone calls over your Echo very interesting product. And I'll switch the order a little bit. We'll, we'll go in reverse this time. Carrie, what did you think about the Echo Connect and what grade would you give it? So I'm going to give this an A for an interesting reason. I think it, it opens or reopens the market back to an older population who may not necessarily be so tech savvy, right? So family members who might be buying this for a grandmother or older parent are, are going to be able to provide an integration that suddenly makes this device far more meaningful to the folks living and interacting with that device in their home. If I'm not mistaken, I believe that this also took off the reliance on the smartphone for setup, which I feel was a huge win. That's not a mistake. Um, and the price point, obviously, is, is very manageable. So I would give this one an A. I think this one might just be my A+, and I might just give out only one of those. So I'm really excited. Yeah, not having to rely on the smartphone, I think, was a really great move. Um, I think the fact that you can immediately become actionable, we want to gain information and have a lot of back and forth, and that's great. But there still is a lot of times where we need some human assistance to close the last mile. And you're just really connecting that last mile for the customer. I think it's not even just for the elderly population, although it certainly is more likely um, for the people that are like, hey, now I need a human. Um, but I think it just makes tons of things really actionable. And it just creates this seamless movement between interfaces. I'm pretty excited 
about it. Definitely want to clarify for everybody. It doesn't mean you have to have an old school landline coming into your home <laughs> to use it though. Um, so when we talk about attaching it to the phone line, it doesn't just require um, that. So yeah, I'm super excited uh, about this product and I'm a plus for genuine usable value exchange functionality. So wait a minute, you don't have to have a phone, you don't have to have a landline to use it? So I, I'll say the same one on the, correct me if I'm wrong, but looking at some of the, the different blogs on this and I, I've not had used one myself, you can, I believe, att attach it to voice over IP. Um, so you can attach it to a traditional landline, but it doesn't require a traditional landline. So um, it's, it's built to last, I think, in its design and structure. Interesting. Uh, interesting. Thank you for uh, sharing that. Uh, I must have completely missed that. Kathy, what are your thoughts on this? I am also very excited about this one. I think it's going to be under the radar a bit for people. Um, but to me, what it may bring back is uh, the, the concept of the family phone line. I mean, only about 50% of people in the U.S. have landlines anymore. Um, and my coworker was saying the other day, he was calling his parents and he had to decide, who do I call, my mom or my dad? You can't just call home. Um, and I think we lose out on that a bit. Um, kids who don't have phones yet, they have to, you know, they say, ask their parent to text their friend's parent, can I come over and play? They can't just place that phone call themselves. And so I think it's going to bring back that idea of the, the home line. And, and I really like that. So I'll give it an A. The next one is the Echo Spot. I will start with you, Tara, for this. Uh, what are your thoughts on this and uh, your grade? I'm going to give this one an A. Um, I would give it an A plus if they would have given it to us in like a rock. So it really could have had that tactile presence. Um, I actually was surprised they didn't offer a felt or, or wood version. I think it's just the black and white right now, but I love it. It's the right size. It's the right function. I definitely agree. A lot of us are trying to keep our, you know, our going to bed um, routine, um, a sacred place where we get back to self and, and all things real and connected and not mindless browsing. Um, so I think it creates a little bit more intention. Um, and I think there's a lot of opportunity for sound quality there too and it just gives you a lot of functionality without a lot of real estate that you're losing on your nightstands so I love it I also think it's funny um, people are talking about oh my gosh there's a camera facing my bed and I'm just going to argue that people have been putting their phone on stands like they say your smartphone the average person does put their smartphone on their nightstand um, and tons of them have a little stand for it because they're using it as a clock um, so this is not the first camera that's been staring at you know your bed and I, I think that it's going to be a non-issue for people. And I was surprised to see as many articles on that as I did. Yeah, this one excites me as well. Um, I'm going to give it an A. It seems to me the most likely next Amazon device I might buy. I haven't bought the Echo Show. I haven't bought any dots, um, but this one is intriguing. Um, and it just... So much of it is this multimodal nature. Um, we, we talk a lot about voice first, but often we don't think about the nature of having um, voice and uh, visual. And this is obviously a small screen. I think it's two and a half inches. So there's only so much real estate, but that might, again, be the perfect thing for the use case they're promoting, having it in your bedroom, because I don't want tons and tons of, I don't want to end up sitting there scrolling my little echo spot. So having just the right amount of information on the screen um, is perfect because then it can ask me a question and display a picture and I can respond to that much more easily. So I think it's, it's a very interesting move and certainly to me the most intriguing one. This is probably the one that I have the most reservations about because it, it almost feels like this is the one that brings it into the product spam territory. There, there was a lot of things out there and this is, is another one that said it's, you know, eye-catching. It is 
handy. It had a good price point. So again, it's the holidays. I, 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 there's something to this that I don't feel like we were ready for this necessarily. I, I, I have hesitations that this might go the way of the look in terms of public opinion once it's out there. That said, I've already got it on order. So I guess uh, they sold me. So I'm going to give this one a B. Moving on to the Amazon Fire TV. One thing that I thought was interesting about this is that it can be coupled with a dot to provide even more voice-first functionality to it. Carrie, I will start with you on this. What did you think about the Amazon Fire TV? I was going to give this one a satisfactory simply because I haven't used the Fire TV or any of the other products. I'm a Roku user, um, so Roku's speech enablement seems you know, very eye-catching to me, but... It, this might change my opinion. I might have to go out there and make another purchase. It, it's just something that I don't have enough exposure to necessarily to uh, to weigh in on too heavily. So we tried an earlier version of the Fire TV and we ended up uninstalling it because we had some problems. Um, the promise of this product is something that I would absolutely love to have because it's a real you know first world problem issue in my home, which is that I have so much trouble controlling our television. We have a universal remote. To me, the biggest difficulty for all these products, I mean, I know that they say they're going to be integrated with Netflix, et cetera, et cetera, but going between the things is always such a challenge. Um, I cannot, for the life of me, ever remember how to get from the TV to the Xbox to do Netflix, to YouTube, to get back to the TV. And my husband has been spending many hours programming our universal remote. And he'll just be like, first you press watch TV, then you press control TV, then you press... And I'm like, no, I just want to press, you know, play TV. And so the promise of this to me is fantastic. I want to say... I want to watch, you know, the 100. And I don't want to know when it's on, where it's on, which device it's on. Something that goes above the entire, you know, TV and cable and internet ecosystem and just gets me what I want by voice, I think is fantastic. I would give it maybe a B minus based on previous experiences. Once it works, I will love it. But until then, I'm pretty skeptical that it will work across all the things I want it to. Yeah, I'm going to give this one a D. Um, I don't think they're playing to the market of who's got the TV. I think that there's like a street fight going on. Hulu is not putting up a good fight yet either. And we've got Netflix and, and you're right. I've got so much going on at my house. I tried connect when it came out and I loved it. I love the motion control and being able to, to, you know, navigate through, through the device. And so I'm always trying these new things. I did earlier as well. Give it a, give it a try. I don't think that, um, they've spent enough time in market. So my take on this though, even though I give them a D is, you know, God bless them for getting out there to get their butt kicked in the street fight. They're going to get a lot of good feedback and I'm sure they'll get it figured out. So, you know, welcome to the street fight, but please tell me you're going to start doing better faster. Well, if you give this a D minus, my God, do you give the Apple TV a zero? Yeah, it's close. <laughs> it looks pretty. So, you know, you get marks for that, but um, yeah. <laughs> the last one is the Echo Button. Now, this one I will actually start with because I saw a lot of hate for the Echo Button uh, on Twitter and stuff like that uh, when this stuff was announced. But this is the one I'm actually the most excited about. <laughs> I'm giving this an A++ uh, <laughs> because I'm, I, uh, I just, I'm fascinated by uh, the fact that, you know, Amazon has said this is going to be some trivia. You know, they, they gave these trivia game use cases, but I think it's going to take all of about two seconds for somebody to figure out something else to do with it. Uh, I think you will, could have all sorts of creative applications from, you know, I could see a healthcare application where you hit the echo button if you're having a heart attack to in restaurants where you hit the button to uh, summon a waiter like it's a Sonic or something. 
um, I'm, I'm very fascinated by this and I, I don't mean to bias the grading, you know, ahead of time, but I did want to share my opinion. Uh, Tara, I'm going to start with you on this. What did you think of the echo button? So, you know, at 20 bucks a pop, I like the price point. I'm going to give it a B. Um, I think they're playing to find out, you know, how else, how human, you know, human beings want to interact. I think there's a little bit of play here. Um, I also think it's interesting, though, they're going to hear a different type of conversation um, with permission. Uh, And I note that that is important. So when you're playing trivia, when you're playing games with your family, when you're doing these other things that they've designed it for, you're going to get this really neat human casual interaction that you're asking it to listen to. So I think what Amazon as a whole is going to get out of this could be really awesome. And I definitely think when they open it up to the community, um, people will figure out useful things to do with it, whether or not it's going to get adopted enough to add big value, uh, jury's out, but I'm going to give them a B. I, I like that they're trying it and I feel like it's a gamble. I was not 100% thrilled about the button. Brian Romley had written something on his Read Multiplex site, which I thought was interesting. The physical modality of a remote button leads itself to new use cases. I don't think that's how design is supposed to work. I believe that we're supposed to have a use case and design to it, right? So there's a little bit of me that feels like potentially we're putting something out there that's new and cool. Buy it because it's cool, not because you have a use for it. So that said, I like the idea of being able to have a physical interface that skill developers can take advantage of because it does open up a lot of doors. And I'm hoping in the future that we'll see additional gadgets come into play that can continue to do that. So it can really make or thought somebody sees something and, and finds something that they can build well with it, that it meshes, right? But I also think that it would be an even better choice to open up an API that allows a developer to take advantage of being able to write to their own widget, whatever it is, so that they can employ that through a skill as well, right? So let but the folks that already have technology built to interface as opposed to trying to build new interface mechanisms that now we have to somehow integrate to our lives meaningfully. I agree with you from the standpoint of, I, I just assume that Amazon's going to give developers wide berth to do what they want with this button rather than be shoehorned into, you know, the trivia game use case. But uh, what is your grade a P for pass on this or, or you have a letter? No, it, it, it's, it's lower simply because it feels like it's a little cart before the horse to me. So I'm giving it a D. Okay. And again, it's not so much the button proper, right? Like, I don't necessarily think that they're going to limit the developer's ability to interact with the button through other skill development. But I, I'd like to see just open up an API where you can write to this to have your whatever physical device now be integrated into a skill, right? Something that Amazon perhaps hasn't thought of. I was watching a video of somebody showcasing all these new Amazon things. I think it was on The Verge. And, um, and I thought there's something about this cute little dot that I think their button that people are excited about. Again, will there be good use cases? I'm not sure. One thing it does address, I think, is this whole multi-use issue. If you're if you are playing a game or something like that with the echo, it can't tell, it can't separate, you know, three people shouting out at once or tell if even if it's one at a time who it was. So I think it's a very quick solution to the identification problem we have right now, which is it doesn't know who's speaking. Um, so perhaps that could be taken past the game concept. Um, but as as everyone's saying, um, the low price point um, and just throwing it out there, it's like basically Amazon's getting free ideation. People are just like, what can we come up with? And somebody may come up with something fantastic um, and Amazon got someone else to do it. So it seems just like a smart move on their part. And for a grade, uh, I'll give it a B plus because I want to see what's going to happen with it. 
all in all, based on the, the, the grades, it was, you know, a mixed bag as to be expected. Uh, but it uh, seems like there's a lot of positivity um, about the product line. And uh, certainly, I think the consensus of public opinion agrees with that. Moving on to 1B, yes, Amazon had other things that they announced <laughs> in addition to all of these products. Um, and we'll hit them uh, all sort of in one fell swoop here. The Echo Show launched in Europe, specifically, I think it was the UK and Germany. Alexa is now integrated with new BMWs, which is pretty cool. And, I, and it appeared like there was no hardware, uh, there was no Echo sticking up or anything like that. It was just baked in, uh, which is sort of interesting. And the big one, Amazon now has 5,000 employees working on Echo and Alexa, more than Fitbit and GoPro combined. Now, I don't know why this article decided to choose those two companies. Uh, they could have chosen whatever companies they wanted to, but 5,000 employees is a whole lot. And I think the three of these things combined uh, sort of gives an additional angle on the whole press event. just shows incredible momentum um, in the marketplace. And I want to get the panel's reaction to this. And Carrie, I'm going to start with you. 5,000 from 1,000 is a lot. And 5,000 is a lot in just any conversation in terms of, of dedicated resources working on technology. So that's just personally, somebody who works in voice, extremely exciting and, and you know reinforces that we're definitely going to see great things coming ahead. Um, I think that Native automobile integration, though, is probably my very best eye-catching piece of these. It, one of my kind of reservations about interacting with virtual assistant platforms is just that we have these disparate technologies. I already have an iPhone. I'm not, I'm not going to go and shift to something that, that, you know, uses something else. And so then I've got Alexa here. And then I've got, you know, something else. My To have Alexa out in the car, I think, starts to tie the entire experience together and makes a much more compelling kind of environment. But if we do have to dedicate ourselves to a platform, suddenly, you know, well, maybe, maybe this is the one, right. As opposed to, well, I still got, well, I, you know, I don't use this and don't use that. Having access to the same interface consistently, I think it's going to approve adoption see people using their lists in their home much more in more meaningful ways. Yeah. So like Carrie, the one that jumped out at me was the the car integration. That's another use case where in my life, I really wish I had options. I listen to a lot of podcasts and music in the car and I have no way of controlling them with my voice, which is really frustrating that I can't even pause or skip to the next one. So I look forward to that integration. I'm always skeptical about the microphone quality. Uh, that's always been a really hard thing for voice in the car. It's a very noisy environment. Um, are they going to place some um, mics in the back as well for anyone in the back seat? Um, there's a lot of just difficult recognition tasks, period, let alone how you actually allow people to control devices in the car. But you know, I hope that they are doing a good job with that, um, in which case I would love to have this uh, in my car. I mean, already often my son will say, you know, I wish Alexa was in the car. That's certainly something that's come up in our household. Um, in terms of the announcement about the 5,000 employees, I'm always a little skeptical of these numbers. I mean, are they including people who work on AWS servers because that's tangentially related or is it truly working on the product. That being said, um, it's great. There's so much interest in voice. When we've got all these companies like Google and Amazon and Apple who are who are able to afford and take all that talent, it just makes it really hard for some of the other players in the space. Like look at something like Mycroft, which is an open source home assistant, um, which seems pretty cool, but 
they're going to have such a more difficult time um, because they're just not going to have access to 5,000 people to work on the product. So I think it makes it a challenge for those not in the space. That's an interesting observation. And by the way, if you want to hear Joshua Montgomery, CEO of Mycroft uh, AI, I interviewed him for the first episode of Artificial Intelligence, which is on Voice First FM. Shameless plug. I think with the 5,000 number, I guess, I think it's to be expected. Um, I, I, you know, I, I thought it was almost comical that they used companies that are struggling right now to stay relevant. Fitbit is having a hard time, right? They've already have so much market presence. How much more can they get? You know, you're, you're getting a big collision um, from everybody who makes beautiful watches like Fossil and, um, and, and, and the Apple Watch, Samsung, and et cetera. So that one I thought was like, I don't know. It just was like, yeah, we're trying to, we're showing our commitment for the small startup. Um, and for the rest of the ecosystem, I, I think the job thing was interesting. For me, the real story was the BMW announcement. Um, and I was curious as to see, you know, why are we as excited about BMW? We've seen Ford announce this, you know, earlier, uh, Volvo. Um, and I think as driverless cars um, become real, and, and of course, there's a lot of speculation as to when, but we all know it's coming and coming faster than we think. The, the voice interactions in the car are going to be everything. And I'm very curious on the actual, you know, logistics of where you're placing the mics, how you're dealing with the different sound Um how that's going to play out as you look at, you know, changing the seats to what they were when the car was first invented, when people faced each other um, and, and and drove in that vehicle, right? So you're going to see the collision of the driverless car and speaking um, in that automobile. And I, I look at um, public transit and think, you know, where's that going to mesh up? So when is Alexa going to be talking on your phone? And um, I think it's, once we have the we have our vehicle and we have our home, um, then we start to have the what is the public space interaction, and now we're back to the smartphone. And I think it's going to be interesting to be Apple and Samsung, and I think um, Amazon's going to have an interesting situation because Samsung has a wider breadth in actual physical. Um, you know, locations of devices, whether it's their fridge, uh, their their washer and dryer, or or the phones that are so prevalent. So I think it's it's really about the automobile. That was the story that I thought was most interesting, and I'm really curious to see the collision of all of these innovations at the same time and how they're going to address it. The employees aspect with Amazon, uh, I think the good thing about that is that it's just another one of these things that demonstrates credibility, uh, long-term viability to the marketplace. If Amazon's got 5,000 employees, even if it's, you know, sort of uh, rounding up, you know, a bit with that uh, or counting other people that maybe are doing different things within the company, um, that's still a lot of people. And it just shows uh, outside observers who are sort of watching this all play out, hey, this is for real. Um, And I think that that is certainly a positive to take away. Moving on to story number two, Google takes its ball and goes home. This is a really sort of pathetic story, <laughs> but a sign of things to come, I think, uh, with some, how some of these uh, tech juggernauts will begin to interact with each other in, in the voice space. Um, YouTube pulled off all of its video functionality on the Echo Show this week and provided no explanation whatsoever, simply stating this violated their uh, terms of service or whatever. This is bad news for both of them. This is bad news, especially for the Echo Show, because YouTube is a pretty important uh, application for that, having that screen and it just seems to be such a natural fit. It's a bad thing for, for Google because... Uh, so many 
people are using the Alexa ecosystem and uh, this is just a fantastic gateway into to using more and more YouTube content and consuming that. And so I want to get the panel's perspective on this. Kathy, I'm going to start with you. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm not terribly surprised given that Google is obviously trying to compete in the same space. Maybe Google is going to unveil their own version of the Echo Show and they only want YouTube to be on there so they can have the market share since they're definitely in the minority in terms of home assistant devices that have been sold. Um, they also claim it has to do with uh, improving the user experience, although I, I'm very skeptical of that. Um, and I, I do think it damages their own brand a little bit because people are going to be mad that they can't see YouTube videos, which is the most common way to see videos. Um, I think it will get resolved to a point. Maybe they'll have more limited content available or something like that. Um, but not especially the sort of abruptness of it and suddenly not allowing people to have this feature that's probably really, really important to Echo Show users. Um, seems like kind of a bad um, a bad way to go about it. Yeah, no, I, I had to explain to my five-year-old why he can't watch Daniel Tiger on the Echo Show. Um, and, uh, you know, it fell on deaf ears. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Uh, but uh, that's the impact it had uh, in our house. So the moment I read it, the first thing that flashed into my brain was Adobe Flash versus Apple, right? Um, you know, how many people went through that? And um, so if you're asking me to make a bet on, uh, you know, Google versus Amazon, I can't do it. Um, this is the lunacy. Of, of, and I think it goes to the culture of the organizations. It goes to whether you're building a cult ca- culture or a connected one. Um, I think that it's, we're going to have these kind of scraps and um, it's unfortunate. It's not in the best interest of the public. Um, and hopefully we, we find our way through it as fast as possible. Eventually, you know, you could get and download your own flash player uh, for the MacBook, right? So um, hopefully we can all get over it and move on quickly. I think that the question is, if I was Google, it's a big bet. You're kind of daring Amazon to address this issue. And YouTube was one of the best purchases they made um, probably to date, if you look at it, um, for what it really did for them. And I think that uh, that was a big fight to pick. And you better hope that you didn't dare them into finding something else really excellent um, because there's no rule that says YouTube will dominate forever. It sure is right now, um, but you just dared the giant. And I get it. Google feels just as giant and and, and they are, but um, wow, like congratulations. Let's see how this goes down. So um, yeah, I think it's going to be like Adobe Flash and Apple. Eventually we'll all come around and play nice. I just don't know when. I really agree with Kathy. I, I the user experience mentioned in Google's statement, I felt like almost almost resonated like a cop out. What what user experience issue? And said, the user experience is that they can't do the thing that they were doing that often was a differentiator in the project product purchase in the same place. It, that said, it's Google's product; they can they can do with it as they will. I feel like it's very poor timing on their part because it does feel very tit for tat. Hey, here's our new line. Hey, we're going to undercut you. It, that's problematic. And the fact that they haven't expanded on their statement where, you know, Amazon's making lots of noise about how they're willing to send a team down the mountain here. And we're not getting more public input from Google about what exactly went wrong. It kind of just begs the question of, of what folks were thinking on this. The timing could have been better, I think, to, to disassociate it from a launch. When your son asked about Daniel Tiger and you have to look at him sadly that, you know, you, you're right up there with that. Um, there's enough public interest in bringing back YouTube access that they're going to have to find some sort of solution for this right away. 
Google did, like I said, announce a new product, and this is story number three, uh, called the Google Home Max. And we'll touch on this just briefly. Um, this product is another sort of Me Too product in the audiophile space. Um, and I want to get each of y'all's opinion on this product ex- itself, and then also your thoughts on whether the HomePod, Apple's high-end um, entrant into the smart speaker market can possibly be successful at this point. You've got the Google Home Max now competing against Amazon uh, in the second generation Echo, um, which the entire selling point that Amazon made about it, or one of the big ones was um, increased audio fidelity. So share, share with me your perspective on this product itself. And if you think that uh, HomePod's dead on arrival, or if you think that Apple's got a a shot at competing with it. And Tara, I'm going to start with you. Uh, I think anytime you bring the quality in, um, there's room in that market. I I can't believe how much room there is in the high-end speaker audio market, but that continues to always be a large space. Um, And so if you've done something slightly better, slightly this, um, and and you brand it, it's it's a lot about how you brand and sell. Um, And so I'm excited about Max from Google. I think that it is a good angle. They're trying for a slightly different segment of the market and maybe they'll meet in the middle, right? So I think they're partially recognizing that um, the people that are just looking to streamline their life um, have already kind of gone the way of Amazon. And I think they're trying for that different wedge. I think it's a good move. Um, And as that relates to Apple, I think that, um, yeah, Apple is good, very good at marketing. And if they can get that right, um, are they as good as they used to be? I don't know. The new phone's not a good indicator, but um, if they're as good as they have been, I think they have a fighting chance. I think that, you know, you watch the Bob Marley speaker's come out, no one saw that coming. You see some of those partnerships. You look at, you know, Samsung coming in with the Harman product um, within the home connected home. I think there's going to be lots of space there to to fight it out. And it's going with the stereo. You've got a different need. You've got a different buyer uh, driving, you know, sort of some of that decision. And so they're not going to be as fussed about how smart is this? How good is the AI? I think when you start to look at it as a whole home, you're going to get the collision um, and all, all of this deep knowledge on the AI side and is going to really, really matter. Um, but as far as the speaker goes, a smart speaker, yeah, I think there's room. I think people will spend some money. Um, these guys are used to spending a lot of money on these devices. So, um, yeah, I think there's some room. I think that the sound quality is interesting piece for it, um, that it is pushing you know, just the improvement there. I, I don't know, though, for the casual user, if that's truly the differentiator that makes somebody get their wallet out. Um, we saw a lot of feature phones or smartphones trying to find that kind of magic bullet differentiator in the past. And then often not with a tremendous amount of success. If I, if I might sound aficionado, which unfortunately I'm not, but um, I would be looking at my mini example to, you know, plug that in to my existing Bose sound system or something like that to really improve my sound quality. But so here's my secret hope for HomePod. This is my secret hope for voice. I, I'd love to see interoperability rise so much stronger. I'd like to be able to, to use the, the interface mechanism of my choice in whatever channel of my life. So my car, in my cell phone, in my home, on my television use. And I'd like them to play well together and not pretend like they've never met. So I, I, I know that we've seen a bit of that in, in some areas, but it, it, I think that would be the one area that HomePod could really make or break the entire industry. 
if there's not a differentiator to that level, that kind of big thing that changes the way we're thinking about the industry or changes the way that Amazon and Google have to approach business going forward, that they're a little late to the game and, and they might not be able to do the pickup that, that they'd like to. So I know there are audiophiles out there who will pay more money for this type of product. Um, I've never been one of those, so it's not something I'll plan to buy just as a boost for sound quality. Um, and the other thing, it just my experience with sort of high-end speakers and things outside of the home assistant space is that it's always more complicated. We were at a friend's trying to play a song on Spotify, and um, the husband was like spending all this time trying to get the get it to play from the Spotify on the phone to his nice speakers. And his wife is like, I just want to hear the song, you know, and, and I'm kind of in that, that same position. I will give up a little bit of sound quality for the ease of use. Um, so I, it sounds like there are people, though, who will, who will pay the extra money for that extra quality. So is that enough? We'll see. As far as Apple goes, they are certainly late to the game. Um, how many people are such loyal Apple followers that they'll go ahead and buy the product anyway? Is it enough to make a difference? As Carrie said, will they have some other kind of differentiator? So... I think it really remains to be seen. I think it could go either way. I think the fundamental problem that Apple's going to have is it's hard to describe audio fidelity. It's not easy to say, Livio, maybe the HomePod, um, if the HomePod had 40% better audio fidelity than the second generation Amazon Echo, like, what does that mean? Like, you know, I'm a, classically trained musician since early in my childhood and I live in music city USA and I can't tell you what that means. I think Amazon's taken the right approach. You know, they sort of just provided the general framework and the general like verbiage, uh, the audio fidelity on this is better. And, uh, and people will take one look at the, the fact that the home pod is over triple the cost. It's a tough sell. Not to say that it may not be successful if they've got a, you know, the, they come out with some sort of killer use case, but it's just going to be a tough sell. And, I appreciate uh, all the perspective on that. And the last story, we actually don't have any, you know, there's no need for commentary on it. It's just something I want to share. Make sure if you're listening to this podcast to not miss this month's episode of Voice First FM's The Voice First Roundtable, in which I interview a true tech luminary, Tim O'Reilly. And it was a thrill to interview him. That interview is available on Voice First FM and wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. So that's our voicebot.ai story of the week. Voicebot.ai and Brett Kinsella wrote up a great complimentary piece, uh, complimentary with an E in the middle to that podcast. So check that out by going over to voicebot.ai. Carrie, Kathy, Tara, thank you very, very much for being part of this. This was fantastic. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us. Thanks. It was fun. Thanks to all three of you for being part of this, being so generous with your time, sharing your perspective, it's greatly appreciated. For This Week in Voice, September 28th, 2017, thank you for listening, and until next time.